right. One of the tests is reading out tonight. <laughs> Not a fun chapter to read, but Joshua chapter 12. Anybody know where I'm going to go with this chapter? I, well, that's what I was wondering too after reading it, but... So here's, here's what we're going to do tonight. It's not even going to be so much of a sermon. I'm probably just going to give you more of a lecture tonight of some very important things that will help you in studying the Bible. But I also want to do it in a way, though, where we actually get something out of Joshua chapter 12, too. But understanding a chapter like this, because you ever read chapters like this and it's just like, what am I reading? I mean, let's just face it. This is, that's not the most poetic chapter in all the Bible right there. There's not a lot of great life application in there that you can find so the thing is you know what is the purpose and if we understand the purpose if we actually take the time to say why did god put all these details in there all of a sudden it helps us to understand why a lot of things are in the bible the way they are and it will give us a greater understanding and and when we understand the original purpose of a passage which is what i'm going to mainly be talking about tonight why it was originally written if you understand that, it makes it a lot harder for preachers to get up and put one over on you by preaching a bad sermon from a place in the Bible. And so I'm going to just kind of talk to you about this tonight, and hopefully this will be very helpful to you. I, I really hope it is because I've learned a lot on this subject in the last few years, just preaching through books of the Bible that has helped me so much in, in a lot of areas. And even as I've been going through Joshua, I've been finding errors you know, in my preaching. And I, I really believe it's so important to do this. But let's go ahead and read a little bit of chapter 12 here. We're, I'm not even going to go through the whole chapter, but I just want to point something out to you. So in verse 1 it says, Now these are the kings of the land which the children of Israel smote and possessed their land on the other side Jordan toward the rising of the sun from the river Arnon unto Mount Hermon and all the plains on the east. Sihon king of the Amorites who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled from Aror which is upon the bank of the river Arnon, and from the middle of the river, from the half Gilead, even under the river Jabbok, which is the border of the children of Ammon, and from the plain of the sea of Chinneroth on the east, and under the sea of the plain, even the salt sea on the east, by the way to Beth Jeshemoth, and from the south under Ashdoth Pisgah, and the coast of Og, king of Bashan, which was the remnant of the giants that dwell at Ashtaroth, at Edrei, and reigned in Mount Hermon, and in Salca and in all Bashan into the border of the Geshurites, and the Meachathites, and half Gilead, the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Them did Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel smite. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it for possession unto the Reubenites, and the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So basically, in these first six verses here, what we're seeing is it's, uh, or this whole chapter really is just giving a summary of the land that they had possessed up to this point. And so in the first six verses, it's telling us about the land that they possessed during Moses' time. And all the land that they possessed during Moses' time was land that was on the other side of the river Jordan. And after, and they did not cross Jordan. God did not allow Moses to cross Jordan. We all know that story. Uh, Moses died before they could do that. But then, as soon as Moses dies, Joshua now is in control. He takes over, and you know the story. They walked right through the Jordan River. God opened it up for them. And then they started fighting battles. They started winning battles. But they had won two major battles. Two, I mean, these were major battles. These were miracles. The fact that they won these battles was one of the reasons the people in the land of Canaan was afraid of Israel. And so think about it. With two battles, everybody was scared 
of the children of Israel because those were big battles that were won during Moses' time. But now in the rest of this chapter, we've already read it, we're not going to go through it again, um, we see uh, it's telling us all the kings that Joshua defeated, and it's just naming them off. It's just kind of giving a rundown of them, and it's, um, you know, and there's a lot of details too that we see here in this first part on the borders and everything, which would have meant a lot to them during that day. If you're there living there in that day, those borders are going to mean something to you, where us We've never been there. We don't know what he's talking about, you know. And so it's real easy to just kind of go in one ear and out the other. But this would have meant something to them during that day. And it was actually very important for them to record things like this. And so we're going to say a little bit more later on why this particular chapter. But I just want to kind of give you an overview of this chapter. So... This was an amazing accomplishment for one leader during his lifetime to conquer 31 kings. That's a big deal because these are strong kings too. And many times these kings even joined up and yet Joshua still beat all of them. 31 kings up to where we are at this point after chapter 11, it said, and the land had rest from war. So I don't know exactly how long it took, how many months, years for Joshua to defeat these 31 kings. But there's no doubt this is a very tiring thing, but it was an amazing accomplishment. And, uh, you know, and the thing is, too, not only did Joshua defeat those 31 kings, you know, you could really kind of give him a lot of credit for the previous ones, too. Og, King of Bashan, uh, those guys, because he was probably the one leading the battle during that time, too. So Joshua, he was somebody that was used to winning. So this chapter is obviously a very difficult one to preach from without going just full IFB, taking a phrase and then running with it. I like how that sounds, you know, but, but God, that's all I need. That'll preach right there. But you know, the truth is go read through this whole chapter. There's not even a phrase in here I could use. (laughs) There's not even a phrase I can run with and take out of context. It's literally just giving details on here. So we're not going to do that. There's nothing I can use in here as a springboard for just a sermon to talk about whatever I want. All right. But so what do we, what do we do with something like this? Well, said, cause you know, I can't, uh, well, there's not a whole lot I can do with it, and this is a Joshua 12 sermon. What I want to do, though, is explain why we have chapters like this in the Bible and why they are very important. Because, I mean, why is it, I mean, think about this. Why do we have almost as many verses talking about a list of kings that Joshua killed that's almost as long as the account of creation? Have you ever thought of that? Because, you know, don't we wish the Bible said a little bit more about creation? You know, don't, don't we wish there may have been a few chapters devoted to that, but we got 31 verses. One chapter telling us all about creation. Here we've got 24 verses just naming off all these kings. You know, and why did it write it the way he did? You know, where it names, where it's saying, uh, you know, this many one, that many one. Why didn't it just say all their names? <laughs> it was just like, but it's the way they did it. And so... Uh, in order to understand how to interpret the Bible, and especially difficult passages, it's important that we understand the original purpose of any writing. Be, you know, that's a very important thing. And so for so long, we've heard life application sermons preached from the Bible, especially from Joshua. Is there not a ton of good life application stories from Joshua? I mean, there's a lot. But you know what? Joshua 12 is part of the Bible too. Why is that there? There's obviously... A reason for it and you know but we've got to understand while it's okay to do that 
whenever somebody's preaching life application, I want you to know these stories, but do you know why they were originally written? Do you know the original intent? Because if you don't know what that is, it's a lot easier for me to get up and preach some weird doctrine from that passage because there's a phrase in there that says what I needed to say. And we've got to understand, books of the Bible are different. There's a big difference between Joshua chapter 12, where all it is, it's giving an official record of the land that they possessed and the kings that they killed and there was that they had a purpose for and then one of Paul's letters that he wrote to a church. There's a big difference there, isn't it? Isn't there? Or a, a letter that Paul wrote to an individual. There's some things different there, but often we can find a phrase in a chapter like this and then a preacher can get up and then like teach a doctrine from it that contradicts something that's in one of Paul's epistles. And then you've got people that act like, well, Paul, what Paul wrote trumps what's in the Old Testament. Well, what Paul wrote shouldn't, you know, contradict anything in the Old Testament. The thing is, you're pulling something from that passage that you're not supposed to pull from it. Because you like what that phrase says, but if you understood the context of why they said that, of what that phrase is, then you would know not to do that. For example, you've got to be careful taking verses from Job and preaching from them. Because there's a lot of really good sounding verses in Job. The problem is it's Job's friends, you know, trying to show how wise they are to figure out what, what's wrong with Job. The problem is God didn't like what those guys said. So if you go preaching doctrines and stating facts based on a verse from one of Job's friends that later God rebuked those friends for the things that they said, you know, you're going to be preaching false doctrine. And it's not that the Bible, that the book of Job is wrong. no. Job's friends were wrong. I've heard a lot of preachers have preached sermons called like mistakes in the Bible or lies in the Bible and things like that. It's like a catchy title. And and then they'll tell, give examples of mistakes people made. Or they will preach from lies told like, yea, hath God said, you know, and, uh, you know, and and that makes sense to do that. But imagine taking something Satan said and then like declaring it as truth. Well, it's from, if you believe that King James Bible, well, I do believe that King James Bible, but that's the King James Bible is telling us what Satan said. He was lying when he said that. So we can't do that. You can't use that verse that way. And while that's an extreme example, sometimes people do this same kind of thing. And we got to watch out for that. Life application is good. It's important. But we should always know the original intent. Another great example, too, is uh, the book of Nehemiah. Okay? A lot of preachers preach from the book of Nehemiah. A lot of preachers do series from the book of Nehemiah. And I'm just going to tell you, most of the time when I see preachers are, are announced on Twitter or something, they're doing a series from the book of Nehemiah, my eye, I just cringe, my eyes roll, and I just think I'm not even going to try to listen to that because I'm going to get frustrated because of the fact, and, and, and this isn't even wrong what they do. They're going to preach a message on like church building or they'll do it when they're going into a building project. If the church is going into a building project in an old IFB church, you can mark it down, the preacher's doing a series from the book of Nehemiah. Okay, Now, that's not necessarily wrong. Here's the problem I have with it, is I know none of these people understand the book of Nehemiah. They do not understand what was going on in Israel during that time. They do not understand why they were doing the things that they were doing, what they were preparing for. They don't understand the, the significance of what's happening in that book. There's no, there, there's no doubt about it. It's one of the, I, I think it's one of the things that people are the most ignorant of and really most of the books of the Bible that are from after the Babylonian exile 
those are some of the most, I think, underread, underpreached, misunderstood books in all the Bible that if people could get a hold of those, figure out what those things were teaching, what they were all about, it would help them understand so much more. And you know what it would do? It would destroy dispensationalism is what it would do. All of a sudden, replacement theology would start making a little more sense. But you know what? They're not going to figure that out. They're going to just keep, but they're going to act like they know the book of Nehemiah because they preach. I, I preach a whole series from the book of Nehemiah. Yeah, but all you did was preach on a sermon just motivating your people to give money and to not give up in the work. You know, I could do that right now. Here, let, let, me, let me go to a passage from Nehemiah right now. Chapter 4, verse 15. Let me show you something I could do with Nehemiah. I'm showing you some preacher tricks right now. And you say, this is irrelevant. No, this is, it's, it's important you understand what preachers are doing when they preach. This is something I've taught the guys that are learning how to preach, but I'm just going to teach the congregation too to make it hard for people to put one over on you, okay? If I just don't like something somebody's doing, I can find a verse somewhere that I can use to, you know, criticize what they're doing, discredit what they're doing. And if somebody criticizes me, I can find a verse to defend whatever I'm doing. All right? And so it's like right now, we've got all the craziness going on in the world, right? I've thought about preaching on this, but I, I just don't want to because I hate how people preach from Nehemiah all the time without actually talking about what this book is actually about. And you all are probably wondering right now, and I'm planning on doing a series from Nehemiah pretty soon, but it's not going to be an old IFB one. It's going to be the real thing. But, uh, you know, we've got all the COVID stuff going on. And, you know, and people, if they get uncomfortable because we're fighting a little too much with the government, it's real easy for them that, oh, you know, you guys just need to be more spiritual. You need to be winning souls. You need to be reading your Bible more. You need to be praying more. You need to be more spiritual. You know, we're doing the spiritual stuff while you guys are fighting carnal battles. All right. Is that what you all think? All right. Well, I got some Bible for you. Nehemiah 4.15, it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergans, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. Notice we got some ready to fight, some doing the work. Hey, we're doing both. The Liberty Baptist Church. Yeah, y'all are soul winning and doing all that, but you know, we're fighting the government too. We're taking a stand against all this vaccine stuff. You know, we're, uh, we're doing both. We can handle both. And I'll just start yelling and start screaming about how, you know, pounding my chest. You know, while they pound their chest about doing the spiritual stuff, I'll pound my chest and say, we're doing both. Hey, we're, we still got just as much soul going on as we've ever had going on here. We've got just as much preaching going on as we've ever had going here. We didn't skip church so we could watch COVID land. We had church and we watched COVID land at a different time. Hey, we can do both, ladies and gentlemen. They which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it everyone with his, uh, of his hands, raw in the work, and with the other hand, held a weapon. Let me tell you something right now. I got my Bible in one hand. And I got, you know, I don't have anything on me right now. <laughs> I got my pistol in the other hand. <laughs> we're, ready for, we're ready for both. Okay? And all I got to do is just yell a little bit louder than the other side. And then I just proved it, right? And I got Bible. That's from your King James Bible right there. Now... Is it wrong to use that kind of for inspiration? No, it's not wrong to do that. But if that's all we ever get from a passage, 
then you know, we're missing a lot. There's a lot of things we're missing that we're not getting, and it's important. And so the thing is, too, you know, me as somebody who understands the book of Nehemiah, if I see somebody get up and use that passage and use it as like, this is justification for what we're doing, like, you know, hey, that's a great story to illustrate, but that doesn't prove you're right. Because actually, here's what this passage is for. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. So, you know, shut up. Okay. Now, so people who actually understand, you know, the origin of these scriptures, what they were all about, what they were for, they're going to see through a lot of that stuff. So we got to, we got to watch out for that. And, uh, said something we need to remember about the books of the Bible is what they were written for. There's a reason all these stories are there. Okay. Now we understand that God had a plan. God's always had a plan in first Corinthians 10, six. It says, now these things were written for our, our, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So there's no doubt all these stories that we read from the Bible, from the Old Testament, from Joshua, and even from Nehemiah, these things were written for our admonition. We're supposed to learn from these things. We are supposed to make life application from, for, from these things. That is right that is appropriate. And so while they were written for us, you know what? They were also written for the people back then too. We understand that? These things were written for the people back then too. And they actually had more than just, they were written for more than just life application reasons. They were actually written for kind of legal purposes too. Now we don't pay attention to this stuff in our world today, you know, us lowly serfs. But when it comes to, you know, legal things all right, in our country, you know, we have founding documents. You know, we have a constitution. We have a bill of rights. And there's a lot of other, um, whenever uh, judgments are made, these things are recorded. These things are archived. And whenever big decisions are being made, you know what they do? They look back at those other court cases. They make precedent off those things. Whenever they make new laws, they're supposed to go back and make sure it's not contradicting something else that's in the law. And it's really a lot of work. It's a very complicated thing to do all that. But that's a big thing even in our country today. And it was the same thing in the Old Testament. Uh, these things that were written, they were a historical record. They were a legal record showing when God gave the law, why God gave those laws, the stories behind them, what led up to them. And also we see in the Bible, God promised Israel land. God promised them a possession. Here in Joshua, it's given us the record of when they got it. We see too, and we're going to see this in the book of Joshua, uh, where it takes the time to explain who got the land. That also was very important too. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there was a reason that they did that. These things were very important to them. You, and you could say these scriptures where they would record how, you know, God gave this much land from the, this border to that border to the tribe of Judah. That was like a deed. And don't we have those things today? We have those things over at the courthouse recorded. You know, deeds to your, you know, the, all the specifics on your land. 
Uh, and it's and our stuff's so complicated today too. Have you ever seen the uh, what's it called the legal description of a piece of land? Anybody ever seen that before? That is crazy. We had to do something with that uh, with the old building. I think when it was getting when it was getting rezoned, I had to get the legal description of the land, and I found something online where it had a thing on there. It was like two lines. I was like, wow, this is long and complicated. And I sent the paperwork in and they said, um, yeah, that wasn't actually right. Actually, the legal description, you're going to have to have a separate piece of paper just for that. Because the legal description, it looks like some complicated algebraic equation or something like that. It is ridiculously stupid. You had to have a whole extra page just for, and I had no idea what it meant, but I found it. I had to do it. I had to like pay money. To get it, it was that. It was just we make everything really complicated today, but it was a little more simple back then. But that's what these things were, and so these things, these things mattered for a lot of reasons. So, um, oh, where was I? So, verse. Turn over to Matthew five seventeen. So there are some passages. So when I hear people preach today, you know, some I literally. You know, laugh out loud when I hear people preach from certain passages and the doctrines they try to preach from. It's like, dude, you have no idea why that passage is in the Bible. You have no idea why that book is written. You went on eSword and you searched for a phrase that you have in your memory bank somewhere in your head thinking that goes along with what you think, but it does not go along with what you think. You did not study that passage and it's it's laughable when you hear this. And, I, you know, and I've done it before too, but... Um, so first off, notice in the New Testament, because I, what I want to try to do to you tonight, do for you tonight, is explain each of the books of the Bible, what they are, and why they're there. Okay, this will help you. Okay, and and you're not going to remember everything I tell you tonight, but just understanding this concept, you know, all these things you'd be able to figure out yourself with a little bit of study. If you just understand this concept, this is going to help you. A lot. Alright, so make sure you, you hang on as we try to cover these things. But in the New Testament, what did they refer to the Old Testament as? Okay. Like in Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. We would call that the Old Testament. Jesus called it the law and the prophets. He said, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, there are many names that we give Old Testament scriptures. But what we need to understand, these names that we give them really are just kind of ways to categorize them. Okay, They're all scripture. I believe everything from Genesis to Revelation is scripture. I believe everything in this Bible is scripture. But understand, they have different names, different sections, different categories, okay? And they're, but they're all Scripture. So if I say Scripture, you know, it says in the Scriptures. Well, it could be anywhere, right? So sometimes we get a little more specific, okay? So for example, um, you know, the Bible. The Bible means a book, right? And so if I say the Bible says, I could be referring to literally anywhere in here, right? And technically... Uh, I would be accurate as long as it's in there somewhere. But I could also be, if I say the Old Testament, I've narrowed it down, haven't I, to 39 books. 
You know, if I say Moses, I've narrowed, you know, narrowed it down to five books. I said Moses said. You know, if I say Exodus 20, verse 2, then we know exactly which spot it is, right? And I think it's good, I think it's good that we added chapters and verses marks in there because it helps us find it and all be on the same page. I think that's a good thing. But what I believe what it meant when they said law and the prophets, okay, and try, try to get this, when they talked about the law and the prophets, I believe the law, of course, meant the five books of Moses, but then I think they just referred to all the other books as the prophets. Okay? Now, why is this? Why did they just refer to Why did they categorize it that way? And why did they separate Moses from the prophets? Okay? Because the books of Moses, remember, they're not just laws, but it's also, it shows us how the law came to be. It, you know, the first book of Moses, Genesis, it gives us the history of man. Here's what you need to understand about the first five books of the Bible. They were written at the end of Moses' life and they were given to Israel right before Joshua took over and they went to the promised land. All five of those books, if, if you understand that, it's gonna, it'll help you with some things that the, the first five books of the Bible were given to Israel right around the time we've been studying, during Joshua's time, just a little bit before that. It was written in a way that would be very relevant to them. That's why certain stories are highlighted in Genesis because they were dealing with the nations that they were about to go possess. That's why it talks a lot about the Canaanites. That's why it focuses on certain individuals. That's why it mainly focuses on Abraham. That's where they came from. And that's why it focuses on Isaac more than Ishmael because Israel came from them. It focuses on Jacob more than Esau because Israel came from Jacob. It focuses on all of them. It goes and it tells, it spends a lot of time going into how they ended up in Egypt. Why? Because they had just come out of Egypt and it's letting them know this is how you got there. And then when we go into Exodus, we read how they got out. We see God give them a law in the mountain. We see them, you know, transgress, complain. We see them going to, uh, you know, they basically have to be in the wilderness for 40 years because of that. In Deuteronomy, you know, it's the second law. It's the second giving of the law. He kind of reminds them of all these things again right before they go in that land. And that right there, those five books, that was their law. That was their constitution. That was their bill of rights or whatever we want to call it. That's what all those things were. And contained in there too were prophecies about the Messiah that was going to come. We know from the books of Moses that a Messiah was going to come. He was going to bruise the head of Satan. We know that he's going to come from the tribe of Judah. We know all that. We know about many of the things that he's going to accomplish and that he's going to fulfill. We know from Moses in the book of Deuteronomy that when the Messiah comes along, somebody that God was going to raise up a prophet from their own brethren, that Israel was supposed to listen to him. Whatever Jesus said or whatever that prophet said, Israel was supposed to do it. That was their law. It, that was the law. That was it. So there's stories in there too because it's showing how they got the law. But then after that, what we're doing is we are um, we're getting into the history. We're, get, we're starting to see what Israel did with that law. And we're, um, so l let's cut, go back to the first part of your Bible. All right? Go back to the very first part and look at the page, you should have a page in there where it shows you all of the books of the Bible in order. Because okay? basically the Old Testament, it's a record proving that man can't keep the law, but God can still keep His promise. 
And really, we don't see God keep his promise. Well, we see God keeping many of his promises in the, in the Old Testament, for sure. We see him keeping a bunch of his promises. But ultimately, it's a New Testament where we see the fulfillment of those things. But so look, when you're looking at these, understand these are all scriptures, but understand the purpose. So obviously, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, we just talked about the purpose of those. That is where the law is given. This was their everything to them. But now, as a nation, you know, they're supposed, they need to survive. They're supposed to do some things for God. And they're supposed to keep on going and, and survive until that Messiah comes. And what we're seeing in these other books is God, you know, obviously they're keeping records of what's going on. But often, also, throughout all these books, you know what we see in there? We see prophets. We see messages from prophets throughout all of these books. And I believe that's why refer, they're referred to as the law and the prophets. There's other books of records that they had, like the book of Jasher. But you know what? We don't, you know, the, obviously there were no prophets in there that spoke by those. And therefore, those things weren't scripture. But these other books, they have the voices of prophets in there. And those voices of prophets were telling things to Israel, giving more prophecy, giving more detail on these things. So when we get to Joshua, okay, Israel's got their law. And Joshua, the book of Joshua is showing how they inherited a bunch of the land, how God brought them, in, first off, how God brought them into the land, how they possessed a bunch of the land. In the book of Judges, we see how Israel got comfortable, how Israel started forsaking the Lord, and God sent judgment. We see Israel repent. God would raise up a judge who would deliver them. Once again, God keeping his promise. And God would keep all, God kept all of his promises with Israel. First off, God did good things for them when they did good, and God punished them when they did bad, and that's exactly what God said he would do. And we just see that throughout the book of Judges. We get to the book of Ruth. Okay? Now, what do you think Ruth's all about? Why is that random story? In the book of Ruth, because in reality, this, you know, the book of Ruth took place during the times of the judges, but yet we kind of have this separate book. It's its own story all by itself. Why is that there? Well, I first off, I believe it's there because of the fact that it's showing a very important story of someone in the line of Christ in the messianic line. We do see extra attention focused on that messianic line and there were often prophetic messages in there salvation messages in there and you can find those things in the book of ruth there's a lot of great truths in the book of ruth but i believe it focused on those specific people too because they were in that messianic line because you have salmon beget boaz of ruth uh or boaz and boaz beget obed of ruth and we see that mentioned and it goes, and then it, uh, it goes to basically how Oba beget Jesse and Jesse beget David. It's showing that line where the king was going to come from. So now here's the thing. Did they realize when they wrote the book of Ruth and included that in the scriptures that they were including that story because it was from the line of the Messiah? I don't really think they did that much. Here's why I think they paid attention to that and included it in scriptures. Obviously, God was in on it. But I think they mainly did it because of the fact that it was showing where the line of David came from since he was the main king that God promised the kingdom to. I think that's why they focused so much attention on it. But, you know, that's another story when we're going through Ruth. When we go to 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 uh, Samuel 
is basically showing the transition from the judges to the kings. We see how God originally gave it to Saul, but then God took it from Saul and gave it to, gave it to David, which is a great picture of replacement theology right there too, by the way. And, we, and that's ama- another amazing thing about the Old Testament. There are so many pictures of things in the New Testament that there's no way they knew back then. There's, there's no way they knew these things. But here's the thing. God did know. And so the thing we've got to understand is those books in the Bible, the book of Ruth, it's not just about the spiritual things that we get out of it. They had a pur- there was a purpose for it back then, too. Same thing with Samuel. Uh, there was a purpose for it back then, too. But often, you know, we just focus on kind of the spiritual aspect of things. But it had a practical reason, too. These are their records, just like we have history. And we, you know, we, who all our presidents are, our leaders have been, uh, when it comes to the wars that we fought. This is Israel's history book. But you know what else we see in these history books? Messages from prophets. We see prophets coming along, prophesying to the kings. We see that throughout these books. First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Kings, it focuses more on the northern kingdom while telling a lot of stories about the southern kingdom. First and Second Chronicles focuses more on the southern kingdom while telling stories about the northern kingdom too. And then it goes all the way up until the Babylonian captivity. It's mentioned in the last chapter, Second Chronicles, and then it briefly mentions how 70 years later they came out of it, which was a major time of transition for Israel. So when we get to Ezra and Nehemiah, these books are basically showing how what happened when God brought Israel out of captivity and God was allowing the temple to be rebuilt, allowing the sacrifices to come back because that was a major prophesied event. The books of Haggai and Zechariah, they were written during this time. And we can even read about those guys motivating these guys to go and build the temple. It was through their preaching. It was through their prophecies. Why they started doing these things. When they were sitting around on their backsides in the book of Nehemiah doing nothing, you know who it was that finally got them motivated to go do something? Those guys like Haggai and Zechariah. They went and prophesied to them, and then they got busy. They got to work. The book of uh, Esther it's during that time when many of them are still scattered abroad too, but showing how God miraculously preserved those people. Because God was preserving Israel, not because you know these so-called Jews of today are just so special, no, because the Messiah was going to come from there. God's got to fulfill His promise of the Messiah through Israel. He can't let them be destroyed. Otherwise, His promise is broken. But the Messiah's come. So, uh, you know, th- things have definitely changed there. Um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These are what they call the books of poetry. But you know what? These also are, have prophecies in them, don't they? Guys like Job and David and Solomon. These guys were prophets. And so these things that they wrote, they were scriptures, but they also had purpose back then too. They used them for music. They used them uh, in praising the Lord. These were the things, you know, the book of Psalms is basically, the, their, it was their hymn book that they had. So, uh, but they had prophecies in there, you know, and then we're not going to take the time to go through all these, but Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, that, those, uh, these were uh, mainly uh, like so Isaiah, for example, prophesied the coming of the Assyrians when the Assyrians were taken over. And we see how the northern kingdom, they got taken over way earlier before the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom had some revival. They got some things right. Some good things happened in Hezekiah's day. We see that in the book of Isaiah. 
But then in Jeremiah's day, it was too late at that point. In Jeremiah's day, he just comes prophesying doom and gloom. Letting them know you guys are going into captivity. Nothing is stopping it. This generation reprobate silver, shall men call them. You're going to captivity and you're going to be there for 70 years. In Ezekiel, we see prophecies uh, about what's going to happen when they come out of that captivity. And how God's going to end up restoring things and the temple's going to be rebuilt. And it's going to go to this great magnificent time like never before if they obey him. If they obey him. Remember that when some rucktard goes and preaches from through Ezekiel 40 through 48, talking about all these wonderful things God's going to do in Israel and how they're going to rebuild a temple and do sacrifices and that's going to be a wonderful thing. Wrong. There's a contingency in there. Guess what? Israel didn't obey God. They did not obey God. And you know what? Ezra and not, Nehemiah is, is proof of that because while we see him doing some good things, they did a really bad job. And then... Um, well, so for, so let's keep going through these prophets. So the book of Daniel, that was while they were still in captivity, uh, in Persia. Uh, you've got Hosea, which is basically prophesying the, against the Northern kingdom that's going to get destroyed. You've got, so, and people disagree with me on this, but I'm right. But, you know, like, uh, Hosea, uh, Joel and Amos. I believe those are chronological, but those prophecies are geared towards the northern kingdom. Some people say all of those from then on are chronological. No, they're not, because Obadiah is um, clearly after the Babylonian captivity, where these other ones were before that. And there's, there's no doubt about that. The book of Obadiah was definitely written after they were taken captive in Babylon, but you say, well, why is it in that spot? Because it's not a prophecy to Israel. It's a prophecy against Edom. Because Edom took advantage of their brethren. And they rejoiced in the day that the Babylonians took over, uh, took them. And God has indignation on them forever because of that. That was what that's about. Jonah is also not a prophecy to Israel. It's a prophecy to Nineveh. And, uh, Saint, and so... Uh, when, then when you get to like Micah and Nahum, um, or you know, and the rest of those, I think after that are chronological again, because then they get focused back on it, the, more of the southern kingdom. But of course, at this time, uh, by the time these ones came along, you didn't have the northern and southern kingdom anymore, because they were all just kind of one kingdom again. But Malachi, definitely the last one. And about, here's what people don't understand: in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. We see Israel restore back to their land and they're getting things. They're starting to rebuild things again. They get their temple rebuilt. It wasn't like the one that Solomon did. It was everything they did was actually really crummy. They did a really bad job on everything. But people, the thing is, people, they read that and then they act like, all right, this was good, right? No, they did a bad job. And while they got some things right, you know, 40 years later, roughly, we're in the book of Malachi and God is getting all over Israel because they're offering polluted bread. They're giving them the lame animals for sacrifices. Israel did horrible. Israel did horrible. And you know what ended up happening as a result of them just doing so bad after God restored them to the land? They didn't get that Ezekiel temple built. That's not what happened. 
You know what ended up happening? They ended up getting their temple desecrated during Alexander the Great's time or during the Greek Empire by Antiochus Epiphanes. We have, uh, and then later, the Romans take charge. And when Jesus came, was Israel ready for the Messiah when Jesus came? No. Did they offer up an acceptable sacrifice to God? Did Jesus purify the sons of Levi like he talked about in the book of Malachi when Jesus came? No. What happened when that messenger came? Israel killed him. All those prophecies in the Old Testament, they were contingent on Israel doing some things they were supposed to do, but Israel disobeyed in everything. And so you know what God ended up doing? In order for God to be able to fulfill all those promises in the old, that were in the Old Testament, they had to be fulfilled through someone from Israel, and they were through His Son, through Jesus Christ, who was born of Mary, who took on Him the seed of Abraham, and Jesus accomplished everything that Israel couldn't accomplish. And so, the way to be the people of God now is you have to be in Christ. And so, when we get to the New Testament, we've got the four Gospels that just show us how the Messiah came. All of us show us how He died on the cross, how He rose again, because that's where our salvation is. That was the sacrifice. It's not those animal sacrifices anymore. It's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts shows us what happened when, when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the believers and when the church was started and how it spread we have, after the book of Acts, we have Paul's letters to the churches giving us instructions on how to operate as a church. We have, we have these things. The book of Revelation, we see uh, you know, what's going to happen in the end times. All of these books have a purpose, but at the, end, at the end of the day, the Old Testament is, in fact, all, in reality, written to Israel. All of it's written to Israel. It was for it was for that nation, that physical nation, for those people of God. These things were written for them. And you know what else? The New Testament was written for them too. But guess what? They shut it down. They turned it down. But you know what? In that New Testament, and it just like it was prophesied in the Old Testament, that gospel, that Messiah, he was going to be for all nations. God's house is going to be a house of prayer for all nations. Everybody was going to be able to come to that light. That was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so we, lowly Gentiles, who, you know, really the Old Testament is not about us at all in one sense as a physical people, but at the same time, because we're the spiritual people of God, we can take all those life applications from that. And really, when it comes to a lot of that other legal stuff in the Old Testament, obviously the church hasn't paid that much attention to it over the year because... Do we really care which tribe possessed what land or what time? Because are we trying to possess a land today, folks? No, we're not. So I'm not going to beat up people who haven't spent a whole lot of time getting the geography all figured out. Because I'm not trying to figure out where my piece of land is over there. I'm not really interested in that. I'm actually looking for the, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem is what, is what I'm looking for. And so when you understand the overall purpose of a book of the Bible, it's going to help you see through a lot of bad preaching. And here's why. Because there's many verses in the Bible, if you isolate them, they seem to conflict with each other. There are some statements in the Bible, if I just take one statement, sometimes you'll be arguing with people about a doctrine, and then they'll just, they will quote a line from the Bible. But the problem is, it has nothing to do with the subject. But it's like, if you don't know that, it's like, I know, I know that was from the Bible. I had a the end of that one in it. 
But, but the thing is, if you don't know what they're talking about, and this is one thing I love to do with pre-tribbers whenever I get the opportunity, whenever I'm talking to a pre-tribber, anytime they use a verse like that, I'm trying to explain things to them, and then they want to try to debunk everything I just said with a verse. I always try to stop everything we're doing and say, hey, let's go look at that verse. Let's go talk about that verse you looked at. And when I, because they always take it out of context. And if I can prove to them the context of that verse, and if I can get them to admit they're wrong in that verse, you know what I did? I took away one of their hangups. And then if I, and if I can prove to them, hey, you're wrong in how you interpreted that, they might think, I'm, I'm wrong in how I interpreted other things too. That's why I love when they bring up no man knoweth the day or the hour to prove eminency. And then they tell me Matthew 24 is not about the rapture. I love when they do that. I have so much fun with them after that. But usually lose them. But, any, but, but either way, con, you know, context will always clear these things up when you have conflicting statements. Okay? But, if you, cause, but if, you, if you don't already know the context, the preacher might get away with it. He's just going to get up there and you know, the Bible does say, whatever. Well, I, I know, but that still doesn't change anything. You're, you're quoting a lie from the devil. <laughs> the Bible recorded right there. You know, you're quoting a lie who? Or Bill Dad the shoe height. He didn't know what he was talking about. You know, don't do that. And so often preachers will say things that just sound really good to a Christian, you know, and they don't know how, and a lot of times people don't know how to explain why it's wrong, but it's like they just know something's off. Okay? And when preaching, let me just throw something out here too. When preaching makes you cringe, anybody ever cringed at hearing preaching before? Okay, yeah, yeah I, I know you've all I know you never cringed sitting there, but, you know, watching YouTube or something, I know you all cringed watching preaching before. But there's a few reasons you might cringe while listening to preaching. One, you might be just getting convicted. That's possible. That that is possible. You know, you're just not right with God and carnal. Uh, But it might be the Holy Spirit telling you not to listen to that. You know, it may be because it seems to conflict with another passage that you have in your heart or in your mind. And so when you hear something, it's just like, you know, like sometimes when you're listening to singing, you might not know how to read a note of music, but you know when they miss the note. You know when somebody in that quartet didn't do their part right. Because like, I, I don't know what note they hit. I don't know what note they were supposed to hit, but it wasn't that one. Now, a really, you know, talented musician, you know, Brother Dan, he could say that he'd probably tell us what, it, what they did. But the rest of us, we don't know what they did, but they know they did it wrong. And, you know, when you get up and you hear a preacher preach something really bad and just makes you cringe and wince, you might not know the Bible well enough to say, here's what he got wrong, this is what he did wrong, this is what he should have done. But you know what? Pay attention to that. Pay attention to that and don't just assume you don't know what you're talking about. Don't just assume you're convicted. You know what? He probably got it wrong. Let me tell you, the Bible harmonizes. And it's a beautiful book when you put it all together correctly and it's important that we know these things and yes our old testament does spend a lot of time just telling us names get telling us about borders and possessions of land and names of kings that were defeated but understand all of those things were important because it was proving that god kept his promise Uh, you know right here reading off a list of 31 kings that joshua killed that's an amazing thing right there. God did that in Joshua. God did that for Israel. God wanted that recorded. 
Because God wanted Israel to always know, hey, I'm with you, Israel. I'm behind you. Any time when they were challenged. And guess what? They got challenged many times. And they're thinking, man, we can't beat that army. You know what? They should have been able to go back and look at the book of Joshua, chapter 12. It's like, man, Joshua by himself took out 31, you know, during his day, took out, they took out 31 kings. I think we can handle this one guy. Here's the thing. Are we right with God, though? And you know what maybe they would have done? They would have sanctified themselves. Hey, how, how have we been doing on these sacrifices? Are we keeping up with these things? How are we doing on the law of God? You know what? Why don't we do like they did in Joshua's day and let's get our leader to stand up and read the law of God to us again. That's what they did in Joshua's day. They went and they read all the law and they said, we're going to do that. What they should have done, they should have done that all the time. Got together and said, let's make sure we're keeping this thing. If they would have done that, that could have changed everything. And so these passages really would have mattered to them too. And when it's naming all these people, it's naming all these places. They know these places. Some of them are literally living on that land. Hey, yeah, when they mention that one king, that's where we live. That's how, uh, you know, th this is a story about how we got this area that we live in. These houses we've been living in, we didn't build these ones. They got them from king, one of those kings I can't pronounce their names. You know, and so this would have really meant something to them so it's important that we understand the original purpose of every passage we read. If we can understand that, it's going to be hard for people to deceive you with false doctrine that they preach while using a Bible verse. We have all been trained, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, that when somebody gets up and they preach something and they use Bible, we've all been trained to just believe it, right? But we have to make sure it's used properly. We have to make sure it's used in its context. And a lot of people are messing up bad in that area. And so we've got to take the time. And, and, and we, would, we would understand these things if we would focus on chapters like this. And just say, Lord, why is this here? And it does. It gives you an understanding of so many things. And so you know, we're going to see that in some of these other chapters too. And fortunately, I think this is going to be the toughest one, really. And I, I, didn't even, I didn't even really preach from those verses tonight because I didn't even have to get a good phrase in there. I mean, but um, but at the same time, I did want I do want to take these opportunities while we're going through chapters like this to help give us a fuller understanding of the Bible. And so I hope that was a help. I hope it made sense. And I hope you'll do that anytime you listen to preaching. If somebody gets up and they preach something really weird that just cringes, and you notice that it was from the Book of Job. Make note of that. It's like, I'm going I'm to go look at that story. Was that Job saying that? Or was that Zophar? You know, who, who was it that said that? You know, I want to make sure I'm getting that right. If they're pulling something from the book of Judges, you know, or just, you know, always know the story behind that, the context of it, and it'll help you a lot. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that this was a help. Dear God, I pray you'll help us not to be lazy in our Bible study. Some of these passages that are a little more difficult, I pray you'll help us to take the time to read them, to get to know them, to learn the names, to learn the places, so we can uh, get as much from your word as possible. I pray we won't overlook these things, and uh, you'll just help us to do our uh, diligence in studying these areas. In your name we pray. Amen.